Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 19th. In today's news, Mike Pompeo upends 40 years of U.S. policy toward the West Bank. The Taliban hands over two professors as part of a prisoner swap. And Jeffrey Epstein's jailers face looming indictments. But first, the big idea. A counselor in the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv told lawmakers that he was shocked to overhear a phone call in which a top diplomat assured President Trump that Ukrainian officials would pursue an investigation of interest to the U.S. commander-in-chief, a probe that the diplomat later suggested was of Joe Biden. The counselor, David Holmes, also testified that the Ukrainians gradually came to understand that they were being asked to do something in exchange for a White House meeting and military aid, which was being held back by the president and his allies as they pressed for the Biden investigation. Democrats released the transcripts of Holmes's testimony last night, along with that of another diplomatic official, Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs David Hale, as they kicked off what will be perhaps the most intense week yet of the impeachment inquiry. Nine witnesses are scheduled to testify in the coming days, starting with four current and former officials today who are expected to reveal behind-the-scenes details of Trump's activities, especially those related to his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Last night, Democrats added Holmes to their lineup for Thursday, hopeful that his colorful account will advance their case that Trump inappropriately pressed a foreign leader for his political benefit. Trump said yesterday on Twitter that he would strongly consider testifying, perhaps in writing, though the prospects of him actually following through seem quite slim. Holmes is an important witness in part because he overheard a phone call on July 26th between Trump and Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sunderland. Then he chatted with Sunderland afterwards about Trump's attitude toward Ukraine. Holmes testified that the encounter was so extraordinary that he immediately told his direct supervisor at the embassy, quote, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Holmes said Sunland assured Trump that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky would do anything that was asked of him, including conduct an investigation that Trump wanted. When the call was over, Holmes testified Sunland told him a probe of Biden was of greater interest to the president than any other matter having to do with Ukraine. Holmes testified that he was surprised Sunland would discuss such sensitive matters so bluntly on an open line in Ukraine, where officials operate under the assumption that their calls are being monitored by the Russians, who own all the local phone companies. Holmes said that when the call was over, he asked Sunland whether it was true that the president doesn't care about Ukraine. Sunland said Trump only cares about big things, Holmes testified, including, quote, this Biden investigation that Giuliani is pushing. Sunland allegedly said that Trump did not care about Ukraine's ongoing war with Russia. In addition to raising a host of issues for Trump and undercutting a GOP talking point that this whole thing was driven by the president's sincere concern about corruption in Kyiv, Holmes's account raises real legal jeopardy for Sunland, who has insisted under oath that he was not aware in real time that Trump wanted an investigation of Biden in particular. If Holmes is telling the truth here, Sunland certainly or almost certainly perjured himself. Sunland will get the chance to testify for himself tomorrow where he can clear this all up. Meanwhile, 
Trump's Republican allies continue to attack the impeachment inquiry and dismiss the damaging cascade of revelations that have put Trump at the center of the effort to coerce a country facing an ongoing invasion and occupation led by Vladimir Putin. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said yesterday that he can't imagine a scenario that would ultimately lead to Trump's removal from office. Any such vote, though, is probably still months away, as Democrats in the House haven't yet settled on what will be their impeachment case and what they'll leave out. The House General Counsel, for example, asserted in open court yesterday that among the topics Democrats are now investigating as part of impeachment is whether Trump lied in his written answers to former special counsel Bob Mueller's questions. That remark came during a hearing over a request by lawmakers to get access to secret grand jury evidence from the Mueller investigation. Though Democrats have previously asserted that Trump might have lied to Mueller's team, their allegations seem to get renewed credence after the conviction on Friday of longtime Trump friend Roger Stone. Later this morning, lawmakers are scheduled to question Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the European Affairs Director on the National Security Council, and Jennifer Williams, Vice President Pence's Special Advisor on Europe and Russia. Both Vindman and Williams were listening live on Trump's July 25th call with Zelensky. They're the first people who are testifying publicly who were on that call. This afternoon, lawmakers will hear from Kurt Volker, a former Trump administration envoy to Ukraine, and Tim Morrison, the former top Russia and Europe advisor on the National Security Council. Volker has privately described how he worked with Giuliani and others to set up that phone call between Trump and Zelensky and a potential White House visit for the new Ukrainian prime minister while pushing for the investigations that the president sought. Morrison has talked about how Sunland, who's scheduled to testify again tomorrow, was working at Trump's behest as part of this whole effort. Trump and his allies have signaled some willingness to attack those who testify. The president went after Marie Ivanovich on Friday, and those efforts are likely to intensify as witnesses describe on national television what they saw as wrongdoing at the highest levels of the government. And we've learned new information about the status of a separate investigation that really could blow up into something big. Two senators are looking into a second whistleblower's allegation that at least one Trump political appointee at the Treasury Department tried to interfere with the IRS's audit of either Trump or Vice President Pence's taxes. Staff members for Senator Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, and Ron Wyden, the Democrat from Oregon, the chairman and ranking member on the Senate Finance Committee, met earlier this month with the IRS whistleblower. Follow-up interviews are expected to further explore the whistleblower's allegations. Now, it, we haven't been able to learn to what extent the senators consider this whistleblower a credible source. This person is a career IRS official. They initially filed their complaint in July, reporting that he was told that at least one Treasury political appointee attempted to improperly interfere with the annual audit. In recent weeks, though, this whistleblower has filed additional documentation related to his original complaint. The IRS whistleblower complaint was first disclosed in an August court filing by Richie Neal, the Democratic chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Neal is in a battle with the Trump administration to try and get the president's tax returns, which he's entitled to under a law from the 1920s. But the Treasury Department is refusing to comply and furnish them. The Treasury Department's inspector general announced that he has opened his own review of the department's handling of the House Democratic request for Trump's tax returns. So that's a dual track investigation, but it's one to keep an eye on. And that's the big idea here are three other headlines that aren't related to impeachment that should be on your radar. Number one, 
Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declared yesterday afternoon that Israel's West Bank settlements do not violate international law. That announcement upends more than 40 years of U.S. policy that has declared Israeli expansion into territories occupied since the 1967 war a major obstacle to settling the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Pompeo denied that the announcement was connected to the ongoing turmoil in Israel in which Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who has supported the Israeli annexation of West Bank territory, is fighting for his political life. Pompeo says the administration is returning to a policy under Ronald Reagan, pointing to an interview that Reagan gave in 1981 in which he said that the settlements were not illegal. That was an off-the-cuff interview, and Reagan actually went on in that same interview to say that the settlements were, quote, ill-advised. Pompeo says the Trump administration has simply recognized the reality on the ground, just as it previously did with the formal recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital and by granting Israel's sovereignty over the disputed Golan Heights. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, a bid by Netanyahu's main rival to form a new Israeli government has entered its final fraught stretch. Benny Gantz, the former army chief of staff, has limited options. The most obvious choice uniting with the ruling Likud party, appears increasingly unlikely, while forming a government dependent on smaller parties with sharply conflicting ideologies seems an almost impossible gamble. Gans has until midnight tomorrow to announce a new government, then secure enough support in the Knesset, Israel's parliament, to approve the new configuration. If he can't do it, Israel will enter politically uncharted territory. Even the keenest of political observers say they have no idea what might happen next, though most bet that it will set Israel on the path to a third national election in less than a year. Number two, an American and an Australian held hostage by the Taliban for the last three years were freed today, just hours after rebel commanders were also released. This prisoner exchange was announced last week by Afghan President Ashraf Ghani as a way of restarting peace talks in Afghanistan after they broke down in September. The exchange had been delayed for several days, and it wasn't clear it was going to go through. But it's happened. American Kevin King and Australian Timothy Weeks were professors at the American University of Kabul when they were kidnapped in 2016. The militants are Mali Khan, Hafiz Rashid, and Anas Haqqani, a younger brother of the Taliban's deputy leader and the son of the founder of the Haqqani Network. They were held in a government detention center at Bagram Air Base. The Haqqani Network is an insurgent group closely allied with the Taliban. It's accused of orchestrating many of the more sophisticated and deadly attacks against Afghan and foreign installations in recent years. The exchange is intended to be a goodwill gesture that would help restart negotiations between the insurgent group and the United States. After nearly a year, Trump declared that those talks were dead two months ago. Since then, the lead U.S. negotiator has held informal discussions aimed at restarting the effort, but to no avail. Number three, federal prosecutors are preparing to file charges against two Bureau of Prisons workers who were supposed to regularly check on millionaire sex offender Jeffrey Epstein the night that he hanged himself in his cell. The two corrections workers, whose names haven't been released, fell under suspicion immediately after Epstein was found early on the morning of August 10th in his cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York. The New York City medical examiner ruled Epstein's death was a suicide by hanging, although lawyers for the disgraced pedophile have questioned that conclusion. The death of the most high-profile defendant in the entire federal prison system led to a major shakeup in the Bureau of Prisons. Attorney General Bill Barr brought in a former director of the agency to run it again 
and he replaced the top official at the jail, saying the preliminary investigation had found serious irregularities. Those irregularities include logs indicating that Epstein was checked on regularly. Investigators don't believe those checks happened. Prosecutors have also been focused on charging these two officers with falsifying federal records. And in recent weeks, prosecutors offered a plea deal to have the officers plead guilty in exchange for a lenient punishment. But the officers refused and want to take their case to court. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 19th. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Hellman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow.